0: Hi, you're watching Stefan Levera Podcast, brought to you by Swan.com, a leading Bitcoin-only financial services provider. Today, we're talking about a Lightning Wallet overview with Anita Posh. Anita is a well-known Bitcoin educator, and she has a focus often on educating people in various circular Bitcoin economies, as well as just around the world, uh, especially in parts of the world such as africa so for this one we talk a little bit about some of her recent testing that she did on lightning wallets so you'll get a bit of an overview of some of the different lightning wallets in the space and how they're operating and some of the different models as well as some of her insights from the recent adopting bitcoin cape town south africa conference so i hope you'll enjoy this episode with anita Anita, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, Stefan. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here again.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I know there's lots of things going on. We're going to obviously hear about what's going on on the ground. Um, And so I know you were just recently at Adopting Bitcoin Cape Town in South Africa. So uh, let's start with a few of your reactions on that. What was the event like for you?
1: Oh, I was very happy to be at the first Bitcoin-only conference in Cape Town, and a lot of the people there also said it's so great to finally, after a lot of blockchain, crypto conferences in South Africa, that they can finally attend and be a part of the conference. And they were also very proud to say that it's really a conference from Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners. And, um, so it's the second uh, Bitcoin only conference now on the African continent after Afro Bitcoin in Ghana. And it was, um, you know, we are at many conferences. I would say it was uh, one of the smaller ones but very well organized. And what I specifically loved was uh, the diversity of people there. And also there was a big, big focus on earning and spending Bitcoin and replacing um, and less more, less, less a focus on uh, hodling and Bitcoin as a store of value and as an investment. Of course, we all know that's also a, a, a big part of Bitcoin, but the focus at that conference was more very Practice orientated and I love that.
0: Great. Right. So while we're on that, let's let's hear from you. I mean, I want to hear your perspective on that. So why is earning and spending Bitcoin important?
1: Because it's a part of money. It's a function of money. And if we want to prove in a way or show that Bitcoin is money, then we gotta use it in a way it would be a great way and it's also a way to onboard a lot of people um who may otherwise say i don't have any money anyhow to to use it as an investment or a long ter- term um possibility to store my value uh because there are millions and even billions of people who don't have that possibility to save and so for them it is and can be a tool um uh, to uh, get free from restrictions on the amount of money you are able to send in and out, the fees you uh, have to pay sometimes. Or like speaking of Zimbabwe, many, many people don't even have the possibility to send money in and out of the country, and Bitcoin gives them a tool to do that. And in other, um, because I've also been to Bitcoin, Bitcoin Witsand uh, the last two days, and it's also like, it gives also merchants and shop owners uh, the possibility to make more profits because it attracts Bitcoiners. They come to uh, their small towns and villages and spend money there, which they otherwise might not have had. And so I think for, I think adoption is two-sided or i guess more more sided than two sides but it's a store of value and it's a money for me and a tool
0: right and that's and that's fair enough i think from the perspective of maybe people like us who are willing to earn and spend i also acknowledge that there's a whole camp of people out there maybe more from more so from the western world where for them they just see it like i'm just going to huddle my bitcoin and i've already got fiat income and i'm just going to spend that fiat income and so, you know, I think it's more just a question of right tool for the job. And because for some of those, like, let's say Western Bitcoiners who have access to US dollar bank accounts and credit cards, debit cards, etc., they see it like, oh, it's just inefficient for me to use Bitcoin because maybe capital gains tax, maybe because of Bitcoin transaction fees that are not built into the current, you know, credit card and debit card rails that they are using today, right? Like I'm not endorsing that view. I'm just saying that's, that's what many people are facing, right? Um, so I think that's probably just the... That's why maybe there's a slight difference in this kind of worldview where there are some Bitcoiners typically from the Western countries and more of an investment case and savings and long-term hodling. And then you've got sort of the... Let's say on the ground in lower socioeconomic circumstances people who are maybe more focused on the earning and spending in the direct, you know, transactional nature.
1: That's that's one part, but it's also the necessity. So Bitcoin really fulfills needs. It's a utility here. And that's why I think that more people will be adopting it from the side of being a payment, like a money to pay things and to earn it. Um, then in Western countries, as you say, yeah, a lot of people, why should I use, uh, Bitcoin, which is complicated? I need to learn about it. Um, and, uh, I can just use my credit card. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm working in the global south and not in Austria, because people are staring at me and saying, what do you want? Yeah. Um, but it's even there more, there are more use cases popping up there too. Uh, because I heard, for instance, from an Austrian, uh, comedian, um, whose bank account uh, was suddenly closed. He seems to have said something that people didn't like. And he's using Bitcoin now to get his, uh, crowdfundings and, and, um, his things going. So it's coming everywhere, you know, and, uh, but I really think that the necessity driven part here and the utility that Bitcoin has for, for people is the main driver of adoption, um, in many African countries.
0: Right. And let's uh, talk a little bit about the, obviously you're on the ground, right? And you were obviously seeing talks from or seeing people talk about things like, uh, I know uh, there's the, I, I forgot his name, is it Karel, the guy who does um, the crypto converted um, and they're the guys who are doing pick and pay. So people in South Africa, uh, this is a big, you know, shopping super, supermarket place and people can actually pay with lightning. So could you just elaborate a little bit on that and what's the experience been like for that kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. I mean it's mind blowing. For me it's uh, I should actually come to South Africa and live here uh, because <laughs> uh, I was at Pick and Pay and with Karel Karel van Weyck is his name. Uh, he was one of the co-founders of Luno which is a big exchange in uh, in uh, South Africa and other African countries. Uh, but now he's working with his own company and he built a app Which is basically a translation app, um, because pick and pay. They came to him and uh, asked him, how is it possible to integrate uh, Bitcoin payments to our system? Because what they are using is already a lot of people here are scanning QR codes at the tills at Pick and Pay to pay for their um, purchases. But it's a unified QR. So many different systems from the traditional banking world are already using this unified QR And of course, it was easier for Karel to, um, adopt that standard so that not pick and pay had to start issuing lightning invoices, but that he built the app, which is translating this crypto. Uh, QR, or let's say it's a payment QR by pick and pay, a unified QR to a lightning invoice. And how it works? A lot of people go there and want to pay with the lightning wallet directly, but it doesn't work because it's not a lightning invoice. So what you first need is this, uh, app, which is called Crypto QR. And then uh, you, when you set it up, you're guided through the whole uh, setup because it also makes a short test payment for you. And then you can choose which Lightning wallet you want to connect with it so that it opens automatically. So basically the process is you go to the till, you say scan to pay then the cashiers know what that means, because with Bitcoin and Lightning, they don't even know that they're accepting that. And um so they show you the QR code, you open the crypto QR, you scan it um with the crypto QR, and this app opens immediately your Lightning wallet. And then you just say pay, and it's done. And I paid for my grocery shopping there, and it was done in like, one second or two and i was like myself i was like wow (laughs) and um the pick and pay is a the second largest retailer in whole of africa So maybe there's even the possibility to go to other countries as well. At the moment, it's uh, possible in any retail store, in any pick and pay in South Africa to pay with Lightning, which, of course, is a great uh, way to um, foster adoption. When we are thinking about Bitcoin ekasi and bitcoin Witsend and other uh, hopefully other uh, circular economies that are popping up in South Africa. so i I felt it was a great uh, experience. and um also he showed us his data, like the the uh, transaction volume. he started it last year, I believe, and it's like, yeah, going up, you know, like, he says it's still small, so it's not a lot of transactions, but the numbers are growing. So hopefully more people are using it, yeah. And also, Karel has this um, focus on earning and spending Bitcoin, because he also speaks about the restrictions that people here are facing and how complicated banking is. And for instance, the banking fees in South Africa are higher than in Germany. So maybe that's also a reason why you want to use Bitcoin and not um, banking.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if it's just a genuine fee saving, then yeah, of course. Um, so... Are there any other, I guess, any other themes that you want to highlight that came out of adopting Bitcoin Cape Town?
1: Oh, there was also a lot of discussion and uh, knowledge sharing about uh, circular economies, of course. The learnings from Bitcoin Ikasi, for instance, then there was uh, Edwin from Bitcoin Witsend with Nikki, his partner. They are basically the driving people behind uh, the Bitcoin Vicent project. I met others from others other countries as well. We Bitcoin for fairness has a branch now in Zambia and we were able to bring uh, one guy over from Zambia to South Africa because he is also going to be a teacher for a new project in Victoria Falls. It's called Bitcoin Vic Falls uh, which is very interesting because Vic Falls is yes at the Victoria Falls um, on the border. To, from Zambia to Zimbabwe, and a lot of tourists are coming uh, to Victoria Falls. So I think this could be a chance to have a circular economy there with, uh, similarly in a way to Bitcoin Beach, where people come in um, and want to spend Bitcoin. And he's going to teach there. Bitcoin, so that they have their own teachers then, because I think that's the the important fact also about uh, new projects popping up that we have people on the ground uh, with the knowledge. So uh, circular ec- uh, economies and also how to um, share Bitcoin knowledge with your peers was also a topic, at least in the yeah. panel and the talks where I was a part.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Bitcoin Sand as well. So tell us a little bit about this circular economy. What's the status there? Like well, how many merchants and how many sort of people are part of that one?
1: Yeah. So Bitcoin Witzen is half the way to Bitcoin Ekasi from Cape Town and it's to- it's totally different in that sense that you have a totally different population there. In Bitcoin Ekasi it's a project in a in a township uh where really uh, people are like let's say having the least, you know, chances of all and Bitcoin Witzen is a Afrikaans community it's like 400 people living there, I believe. And uh, it's a tourism village in a way because a lot of the houses there are empty. They are owned by people who come there on the weekends or for the holidays season. And uh, they onboarded, I, I can't tell you really how many shops, but I would say 10 maybe. Um And um, yesterday... I was. We were in a liquor store, so I was paying for beer and wine with lightning. And it's like they have signs that say Bitcoin preferred, and it's not even a a special topic, you know. Like it's uh, the cashier in there. He was not very impressed <laughs> that I bought my things with with <laughs> Bitcoin. Um, the only surprise was like we then we went into the next store, which is more like a grocery store. And we bought something with lightning. Yeah, easy, everything. And then I thought, oh, I got the Bitcoin ring on me. I want to buy something with the ring. So I went back and I bought uh, free lemons um, with the ring. And the <laughs> cashier was like, right. what's that? Where do you have that from? I want it too, you know. And so it was really, she was really totally surprised. How is that possible now? Um, and they have a put-put place. Um, so they have some tourist attractions where you can pay with Bitcoin. You can buy piltong, uh with lightning in the next um, village. So they are spreading it a little bit out already. And as far as I understand, they also have the, got a grant or donations now to replicate that model in a village nearby. So then you might see, um, more Bitcoiners. And also was, was what interesting was, was, uh, that Edwin said to me, you know, um, I can give you the tourist experience, but actually the more interesting thing is that these people and it's a, rather say uh, more on the older side <laughs> the society there is more on the older side and edwin says they are the youngest people they are the youngest grown-ups there and um so he told me you know the people actually exchange privately in the sense of, okay, you want to buy my fridge, pay me in Bitcoin. <laughs> so uh, I find that also very interesting. So it's, it seems to really become a, a Bitcoiner a community there where they also exchange goods, barter basically with Bitcoin, which I also find great.
0: Great, and so let's talk a little bit about um, the tooling and the wallets, right? And I, I don't know. This is also you've written uh, and recently done, uh, I guess, some field research of uh, with different wallets. Let's start with um, the question around fees for a lot of people because i think that's you know uh, it's it's kind of funny because in the online world there's all the people you know well i prefer to call them spammers but uh, the the inscription uh people uh, particularly the brc20 and stamps i think those are the really pollutive examples um and so we've seen these big fee spikes recently and i guess the way i'm seeing it is we always knew this was going to happen eventually, right? It's just sort of a question of is it happening a bit prematurely now or maybe it's like a bit kind of uh, lumpy in the way it's happening because like every now and again, there'll be a big new mint and all of a sudden the fees are high and then that makes it difficult for people to actually self-custody. And I I know you're obviously very focused on this also in terms of self-custody and what we've seen is a lot of people who then, because the fees are high, they end up going to a custodial solution um, so do you want, do you have any initial reactions to that? And how are you dealing with that on the ground?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, ordinals and inscriptions made the life, of course, much more difficult. The life of an educator, of a self-custodial focused educator. And I said it on, in my keynote at adopting Bitcoin. I said, I would never have thought that I will say that one day, but start with a custodial wallet. You know, it's, it's really, Not possible in any other way at the moment to onboard people who can't afford fees at that high fees. And I mean, I myself, I don't want to pay $40 fees for a $50 uh, transaction. So, um, yeah, to be like, to be honest, I mean, I'm pretty much annoyed by all these ordinals and stamps and whatever because I mean, I have the focus on bringing Bitcoin to people who need it the most, who can profit the most from from its uh, technology and all the possibilities you get. And also, of course, from the upside we have over the long run. To, uh, uh, make the wealth inequalities, uh, less, yeah. Um, and then, uh, the Western guys come in and say, yeah we're having fun now on, on chain. And I don't care if it's $50 and I don't care about the people who can't afford. For me, this is something which annoys me very much. And as you see, I'm getting emotional. But on the other hand, Bitcoin is a technology that's neutral, and if you can use it for that use case, then you can use it for that use case. You know, um, I'm definitely not gonna want to um, censor. Uh, or, or where do you start and where do you end in this fire? Also, as I understand, it's technically not really possible uh, to to um, like make them go away because they will find other ways to do other things and we're at the same point again. And so I think it's, uh, as you said, it's a earlier version of something where we would have gone to any house. And uh, in a way, I think it's good because um, for myself, I can only tell you that I learned more about liquid now and about eCash and about other possibilities to scale and I have also have to say, yeah, I changed my mind. Um, there are some sorts of shades of self-custody, I guess, in the future. Not everyone, uh, will be able to own a on-chain UTXO. Oh, that's how it is. And everyone knew it, actually. Um, and I also knew it, but I, I never really thought about it, you know, like what will be the effect or, or, or prepared for it. I was also just like sending five dollars to people on chain. And now after, um, reflecting on it, I'm just like, oh, I made a mistake there, you know? Um, so now I'm right. changing yeah. it and I'm, um, telling people, if you can't afford to, let's say, uh, earn or buy 1000 US dollars immediately, then don't go on chain or maybe 500. Yeah, Um because I believe that's the size of a UTXO that will be like the fees will not be higher than that pretty soon, at least I hope so. So, um yeah, I started educating myself and also sharing knowledge about other scaling opportunities and opportunities for people to have some sort of self-custody. Uh, but I think we got to start with those who uh, have the least um, with earning satoshis through gaming, uh podcasting, value for value, uh, being sapped on NOSTA and things like that. Yeah, And then from there, of course, there are possibilities to bring them into uh, shared self-custody, federated custody, which are by far still much better than a bank account uh, or traditional banking. Yeah.
0: Back to the show in a moment. This show is brought to you by Mempool.Space, the leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer. With Mempool.Space, you can visualize the upcoming Blocks for the Bitcoin blockchain, and you can target your fee based on the fee rates that they put up there. I find them really reliable, and I use it all the time whenever I'm about to send a Bitcoin transaction and just periodically to keep an eye on what's happening with the mempool. They are continually rolling out new features. I like the mempool goggles, which is a feature that allows you to see what is the actual breakdown of those mempool of the blocks in the mempool whether that whether it's those dastardly spammers or whether it's uh just normal bitcoin transactions you can keep an eye on things there they also have a mempool accelerator so if you're interested to sign up for this feature that's mempool.space accelerator When it comes to securing our Bitcoin, we need hardware, and CoinKite.com make my favorite hardware, the cold card. Now, there's a range of different devices and equipment that you can get there, but the cold card is a great tool for you if you are thinking about securing a larger amount of Bitcoin. Remember, with hardware security, it's important to keep our private keys offline and segregated from our online connected devices, and that's why we use a Bitcoin hardware wallet. Now, you can start out with a basic in a basic way where you might use that cold card directly plugged with the computer. Then later, you might learn about using it in an air gaps method using the micro SD cards to move transactions back and forth between the cold card device and your computer. And there's other features that you can use such as seed XOR, which gives you multiple seeds that look like a working seed, but actually you need to combine them in order to be able to spend. And of course, there is multi-signature for those of you who are looking for what I believe is the best level of security, but with certain trade-offs around that. So to get your cold card or your other Bitcoin h- hardware devices and equipment, go to coinkite.com, use code lavera for a discount on your cold cards. Now, the lead sponsor of this show is swan.com, a leading Bitcoin-only financial services brand. With swan.com or using the Swan Bitcoin apps available in iPhone or Android, you can buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. With swan, you can use ACH or wire to send your dirty fiat in to swan And you can either do an instant buy or a smash buy to buy a larger portion of Bitcoin, or you can set up an automated Bitcoin savings plan, a plan where you are regularly purchasing a set amount of Bitcoin, and you are using that as a longer term strategy. So it's quite common for people where maybe they start out with a lump sum, and then they carry on with a regular stacking plan, whether that's every week or every month, you can set that and set the thresholds how you wish. With SWAN, there's also a wide range of educational material and content made by the team. So there's newsletters, there is SWAN Signal Live, there is all kinds of material that is free for you to learn about Bitcoin, whether you're buying Bitcoin with SWAN or not. So for example, Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin, is there. It's swan.com slash free book and also the team recently created welcome to bitcoin this is a great one-stop shop maybe not for yourself if you're already a listener of this show but this is a great resource for you to give to new people who need a one hour just clean intro over at swan.com welcome so if you want to sign up go to swan.com or you, or send your friends to swan.com welcome and now back to the show yeah. And I think that's, that's the realistic pathway that it's going to have to go. Um, so we'll, let's, let's now go and talk a little bit about the review that you recently did of some of the different lightning wallets. So, uh, as I understand you, you did a similar thing. Uh, was it like one year ago or about then? Uh, mm-hmm. and now this is like an updated version.
1: Absolutely. Exactly. So last year, I think the only two self custody lightning wallets that were available, uh, were Breeze and, um, phoenix self custody in that sense i mean if you don't run a node yourself at home so in that sense that you have a node on your phone so anyone can easily have a node yeah um and then back then i realized okay with breeze it's uh, not possible to sync in that um uh, environment with the slow internet and phoenix was clearly the winner because everything worked so this year i thought uh, i'm doing it again especially because there are more uh, self-custodial Lightning wallets now. And I wanted to try if anything has changed, if there is a new... Uh kid on the block basically which is doing um the lightning payments in a in a great uh, reliable manner and also I, w- I was interested in the fees yeah because um if you have to open a channel from on-chain uh, then you might run into the same problem because people can't afford 40 dollars to open a 50 dollar uh, channel so um i thought I do it again. This time I used uh, Blixt, Green, Mutiny, Phoenix, and Zeus. And for the fun of it, I added Wallet of Satoshi. Um, I didn't add Breeze the second time because I was talking with Roy and he said, yes, we changed some things. We updated the wallet, made it better, but I don't think that it will work. So I just <laughs> left it out of the test. And for me, um, what's most, what was interesting is also to see, uh, the different setups of the wallets in terms of what, how can you open a channel and what can you do then? I mean, is it a, is it more for noobs? Is it a easy to use wallet that guides you or does it have more options for advanced users and things like that? And so, um, the first thing I had to do, of course, was to open a channel. And for that, I stayed in the capital of uh, Zimbabwe, Harare, because I thought I might not even be able to open a channel uh, with uh, slow internet. And so I did that first. And I also was interested in the difference of uh, possibilities and the costs of opening a channel. Because as you know, you can open a channel directly from the blockchain. You can open it from another non-custodial or custodial Lightning wallet. And uh, you can even use Liquid and swap it into Lightning via Boltz Exchange and uh, then open a channel. So you basically also open it from Lightning but uh, you can take it from liquid. So, um, and that was very interesting because, for instance... With Blixt, I only could use a on-chain transaction. I mean, there's the possibility to buy inbound liquidity and I think also, uh, to get a o- channel opened, but I didn't want to do that, uh, because it, I think it's another step again, you know, I, am looking for the solutions for people, um, who don't know that much about Bitcoin, uh, to onboard them. And, and that's also a fact why I do these tests is I only want to recommend things that I feel and where i know it were they work and where i can honestly say i did it myself and so uh what was very interesting with the channel openings was that as i said blix needed two on-chain transactions um which was different with with other wallets uh i have the, i had the um, not feeling i i I thought the others are somehow hiding away that second uh, channel, uh, the second transaction. Um, Could it just be in that case,
0: is that something like a just-in-time channel going on, something like that, where maybe Blixt had to be funded on-chain, and then you had to set up a channel inside of Blixt, whereas in maybe the others, they're doing like an on-the-fly channel creation Um, which does require maybe a little bit more trust on the LSP side and maybe there's some more technical complexity there. But uh, that's uh, perhaps what's going on there.
1: Yes, I assume that's exactly what's happening there because with Phoenix, my channel was set up in five minutes or something. And with Blixed, I couldn't set it up. I mean, I, it took me a whole day because they, that was at the time where uh, transaction fees were fairly high and the times, um, it took, it took, um, you know, I went home in between because it was already night. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Interesting was that actually green was the best option in terms of uh, like how much I had to pay and um, how much uh, outbound uh, possibilities I had. So I used for every channel I used a hundred thousand satoshis. So I started the channel with a hundred thousand for each of the wallets, and uh, in green I had ninety seven thousand five hundred sats in my channel outbound so to be able to pay from that um and so that means i only paid 3.5 percent of the one hundred thousand satoshis as a fee to open the channel whereas with Zeus, uh so how, how do you say sus? choice the wallet yeah sus yeah. okay thank you <laughs> because yeah. some people stare yeah. at me when i say it um uh, and I had to pay 48% uh, for the channel opening. Well, yeah, I guess so a I, lot of
0: this probably, it probably really depends like on a range of factors, like how much priority do, was it assigned with, how much and how much did you fund it with, right? Like if the intent is, you know, people might say, look, if you're self-custodying and we should try to keep, we should, as a rule of thumb, maybe you should have what, UTXO is larger than 1 million SATs. Right, so, if one Bitcoin today is about, what, 43,000, so that means 1 million sats is, what, $430, let's say, roughly. So, 100,000 sats is like $43 in today's terms. So, maybe, you know, you could understand where maybe um, a listener or maybe the wallet developers would say, oh, no, Anita, that's kind of a user error here. Like, you should have done it for a bigger amount, you know. That's what they they could Sure. So, potentially.
1: They they could say of course they can say that, but uh I uh, let's assume I'm a newbie. I mean <laughs> um yeah you can tell them yeah. use a million sets, but who who knows that? So uh it was just interesting to see. And um for Zeus and for Green, I For both, I used Liquid with the side swap wallet. Swapped it via Bolts into a Lightning invoice and uh, paid the one hundred thousand that way. So, um, like the costs for the incoming—that's
0: an example where you were the wallet starting from zero, and you had another wallet with a Liquid balance, and then you pay like you used Bolts to kind of fund or be the initial creation of that channel. Now, some of these um Lightning wallets have it automatically built in. And other cases, I guess you can just go separately to Bolts. Uh, exchange and sort of, yeah. you know. Yeah.
1: No, these ones, that separately. So, I had the website open. Yeah. I sent from the side swap wallet to Bolts and Bolts. I put in the Lightning invoice from the wallet that I wanted to open my channel.
0: That you were testing. I- gotcha.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I put so that in It was invoice kind of like a intervals. lightning
0: setup, basically, is what you were testing. Like, like a onboarding from lightning straight away kind of thing. Like the idea in this example, let's say, yeah, you're pretending that the newbie in this case just has the wallet and then the experienced person or the teacher already has a lightning wallet set up and that they're funding it that way to get them yeah. started.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to see the different ways. Also, you can have a lightning invoice paid, you know. And uh yeah. interesting is like for Blixt, I paid one hundred and sixteen sixteen thousand satoshis in total for this one transaction to open the channel. Okay.
0: okay.
1: Yeah. With uh, Mutiny, I paid a hundred thousand four hundred four. And with green and Zeus, of course, I paid the same because it's a liquid to bolts. It was 101,000 Satoshis. So that's, these differences are just so small. Um, but I think it makes a difference in the setup of the channel, the, the amount of Satoshis that you then have available and also how much you can receive. Okay. So, um, that was the setting up of the channels. And then I was uh, happy to go out 40 kilometers from Harare to a rural area. And I was looking for a place uh, because I had free devices, <laughs> you know, uh, for the, se- the wallets, because some I already had on one phone and yeah, etc. So I found a place uh, where I could use one of the two mobile providers I was using because on one place, one re- worked on the other place, the other worked. So I then decided I just, uh, hotspot myself. So, and then I started, uh, I had set up a protocol, like I want to send 50,000 first and I want to receive 50,000. And I always use the Phoenix wallet as the wallet to, to receive, uh, or send from to the test wallets so that that is always yeah. the same. And so um I was successful um sending fifty thousand to Phoenix from Phoenix uh, f- sorry, yes, from Phoenix and from Mutiny and of course from Wallet of Satoshi. But the interesting thing is that Wallet of Satoshi took nine seconds uh to send the fifty thousand, whereas Phoenix only took three seconds. <laughs> so the self custodials to um to Phoenix all of to them, Phoenix.
0: Or which one? Oh, no, that But was, that's, I mean, you can um, understand why that's because that's like kind of like an internal, not fully internal, but at least async uh-huh. kind of on their side can make the connection more easily because they know it's, it's another Phoenix wallet.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I guess, yes. And then mutiny, it took 50, 50, five zero seconds, but it also worked, but I had to wait a little bit longer. And then I did the other way around. I say, okay, let's receive 30k from my external Phoenix wallet that's not in the test. And it was uh, Mutiny, Phoenix, and Wallet of Satoshi all did it in three seconds. So they all worked fine. Blixed, Green, and Zeus, they just didn't work. And I know why Blix yeah. didn't work, because it just didn't sync to the top of the blockchain. So it was never yeah. there. Um, Green, I don't know what happened with Green. I waited two and a half minutes uh, for the payment to work, but it didn't. And I got an error message. I sent it to them. I don't know what it meant. And Sus, also, I waited five minutes. It wasn't able to sync or uh, to uh, be ready for the payments. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the yeah, source guys... Um,
0: some of this comes down to, like, the model that the wallet is using. So, as an ex- as you mentioned, with Blixt and, I believe, Breeze in the, let's say, the old model Breeze or the original model of Breeze, it is using Neutrino. So, it needs to sync to the chain. It needs to use the compact block filters, and it needs to then download the blocks that, that it has a relevant transaction in. And so, that is just going to be difficult if you're in a rural area in africa with poor internet connectivity um and so that's where i think depending on which wallet type and what infrastructure it's using it could be very different right so phoenix as i understand is using more like an electrum server lookup model as opposed to download going and trying to download the neutrino filters so you can sort of understand why that would be really far much faster
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know exactly how mutiny does it, but I was also very happy with mutiny. It worked also very well. Um and then the next test I did was sending to a lightning address. I don't know why <laughs> I couldn't explain technically, but I thought maybe it's a different uh experience, maybe there's something different involved in it. And so I sent uh, from the wallet um to my wallet of Satoshi uh lightning address. And right. um it took me 2 minutes uh, that Mutiny uh did it. I mean it it sent it. It was successful, but it take took 2 minutes. And then, interestingly enough, green worked. It was able to send uh, twenty thousand to my lightning address. It took forty seconds, but it worked. And Phoenix again in three seconds, it was done. So um, that worked worked yeah. fine. I mean, and of course, Blix the, and Zeus like still the software, didn't work. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, that's unfortunate with them. But yeah, I think I mean it's it's polling the you know like that web server and saying, hey, give me an invoice uh and then trying to pay that invoice so it's probably not that that different really but in terms of practical you know use people might be more accustomed to working with lightning addresses uh in the future as opposed to copy pasting invoices so we'll see if that um you know changes things so then i guess like overall kind of results wise like from reading your post it sounded like phoenix pretty much came out the best and I guess wallet of Satoshi because obviously it's custodial and there's kind of less. Uh, uh, it's no, less I, I
1: didn't include I didn't include wallet of Satoshi in my results as it's a self custody wallet right, test because it's custodial. And yeah. so for me, yeah, exactly. For me, the two winners were Phoenix and Mutiny in that test, and right. also from the perspective yeah. of from the perspective of uh, how easy is and usability for uh, people you want to onboard, I think that Mutiny does a great job and Phoenix as well. Um, so that was also a reason for me. I mean, I was very, um, disappointed to be honest because Mutiny says they are in experimental phase, uh, like their development, um, and everything worked quite well. Green also says it's experimental and I actually had to get a special code to, uh, open the Lightning account in the green wallet. And I was especially excited about green because you can use it with Bitcoin on-chain, you can use it with liquid, and you can use it with Lightning. And I also assume for many people in African countries who use a lot of them use uh stable coins like USDT, you could you could use uh LUSDT in green. And I like the fact that you only have one seed for all the different accounts so um i was a little bit disappointed that the payments didn't work and but i i assume and i hope that uh as soon uh, that they are working on it and that it will be better next year um so um yeah i'd go for phoenix and mutiny and but i also have to add it's very specific also like which channels are open and things like that? Because yesterday, when we were in Bitcoin with Sand, I had two times trouble in paying with Phoenix, and whereas yeah. Peter Todd, who who was also with me, he had no problem because he seemed to have other channels open uh, on his own node, and so I then reimbursed him with uh, Show me an eCash. In the Fedi, fedi wallet, which was also great. Right.
0: Okay. So, so in Peter's case, did, was he using Phoenix as well? Or you mean he had like a separate, like Zeus set up with his own?
1: He has his own, uh, node and he used Zeus for it. Yes. And he said, um, I think that the setup in, um, like the merchant nodes, I think that, uh, Edwin doesn't have a channel to async, but I think they opened one yesterday. So it should be better now.
0: Uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's an interesting thing as well because sometimes like uh, big nodes need to set up some more connectivity between each other and then after that, sort of the payments can flow more easily. Um, but uh, I think, look, I think the other broader comment that people might have or I might have on this is we have to think about who our audience is going forward, right? Because if, okay, inscriptions or not, ordinals or not, fees are going to rise and it's going to become impractical for people below a certain, let's say, income or net worth threshold to be using self-custodial lightning. And that's going to may mean that it's sort of like, who are you really targeting now with self-custodial lightning but small values? It's like maybe that's not really the right use. Like Maybe the only use would be for people who who can afford to be self-custodial, right? And it's not a uh, reality that we like, but maybe that's just, that's that's realistically, you know, that's just being pragmatic about what, what what we do going forward.
1: Yeah, I think we need to be pragmatic about it. I mean, self-custody above all, of course, I, I'm a proponent of that. But I also want to, Many, many million more people to use Bitcoin. And I mean, we know that we can't scale the blockchain in that sense that everyone can have, uh, full self custody. So I hope for solutions in the future that, uh, we have several, uh, s- um, levels of self custody. And yes, um, there might be like like uh, eCash, for instance. I think is also. I mean, it's fully custodial. But if you have a federation, for instance, where you trust all the guardians that are involved uh, that are maintaining the mint. And then I think it's fine. It's a little like, like this Uncle Jim uh, setup, uh, you know, where a lot of people might also have a family member or trusted friends who run their nodes for them, where you share the node or you, in future maybe share UTXOs um, and things like that. So, yes, I think we need to be pragmatic if we want uh, Bitcoin adoption. And that's right. also this, the case why I, for instance, um, now uh, say to people, if you want to start, then start with wallet of Satoshi or Albi uh, until you have maybe an amount of a 100,000 Satoshis or 200,000 Satoshis in that custodial wallet. But be aware it's custodial. And as soon as you have that, either you open a self-custodial Lightning Wallet or you move it into liquid, or if you can afford the fees and you know about uh, the fact that in future you will need to do UTXO management and things like that, then you can also go on chain yeah but uh yeah. it's it it it's definitely didn't it does hasn't made my life as an educator easier, <laughs> but right. I yeah. try to to i think the most important thing if you want to onboard other people is also to see their situation what are their goals what are their possibilities uh, and what are their needs and then specifically look for a solution for them what what might be the easiest and also the the most economical and yeah. most secure at the same time so so what is it what's the optimum you know
0: yeah so one other question just around um, blink have you played around much with blink i know that's another custodial one that's sort of also becoming popular as an onboarding custodial lightning app
1: I have to be honest with you. I haven't used Blink. Uh, I have never okay. tried it because, um, of the custodial fact. And also, you know, it's just also a time, uh, problem that I have, <laughs> but I yeah, want to yeah. use it because, for instance, I need to be able to talk about it, of course, and, and experience it myself because also a lot of people are using it in Bitcoin Witsand, for instance. So right, I'm yeah. sure. And, and it because seems I, as, to be from very, my understanding,
0: easy. um, Blink. Does have some good merchant features as well. So, yes, it's custodial, but there are some aspects where maybe if you're a merchant and, you know, in the, again, the lower socioeconomic status merchant who can't afford to go on chain, well, maybe it makes sense for them um, as a, you know, practical matter that, okay, yeah, you're going to have to start custodial. We wish everyone could be self custodial, but that's not the reality today. Um, So, I think the other aspect to think about is trying to onboard people. But without scaring them off, and also being clear to them about the actual trade-offs of what they are going into, right? Because if they are not going into self-custodial, you know, context into a self into like a fully self-custodial context, and they are, as an example, uh, another example might be Aqua, right? So Aqua is more like a liquid. It's more like a liquid-based wallet, if you will, like your your main balance. I mean, you can have Bitcoin on-chain, but you can also have a liquid BTC balance. And then the wallet can do the swaps, like they've coded in the background to have like all these swaps going. So you can have stablecoin swaps and Lightning swaps. And I believe they're using exchange for that. But that's another example where it's another trust model now. Because if that user, obviously, you and I understand what that trust model is, but how do you... So how do we skillfully convey that to a new person and say, oh, actually, when you've got this balance in liquid, it's actually kind of like a fancy multi-sig bank with 12 or 15 federation that they're the ones who can like potentially rug you or not. Uh, or they're, they're the ones who can block your peg out, let's say, or your swap out. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, but at the same time, that is a way to have lower fees but with a slightly different trust model, you're not trusting just one exchange. You're now trusting this kind of 12 or 15. So you could sort of argue that, okay, it's not as bad. And maybe you could have lower fees that way. And you can have stablecoin access that way. So how, how are you sort of... And then, okay, as an, another example, you've got like, let's say Fedi, which is, again, Federated Mint. Uh, it can potentially give that user a very slick user access, user experience. So how are you sort of thinking about balancing these things when we're out there, you know, trying to teach people?
1: Yeah, that's a complicated thing, of course, because even if you have a group of 10 people uh in one community, they might have different needs, different possibilities. There are people who can afford fees, others can't, they have different goals and things like that. So it's very complicated to be honest with you. And so... Um, like also with aqua of course aqua is great because you have the stable coin option um, you also have the possibility to use lightning of course it's not lightning as you said it's liquid swap in swap out um, but the that's the next thing that you need to tell people in a way is you with lightning it's only ever going to be hot storage you can't have a cold storage you can't use uh, a treasure or a cold card or bitbox or whatever hardware wallet uh, to secure uh, your lightning funds but you can do that with liquid because liquid is similar to a, the bitcoin blockchain yeah it's federated so to be honest <laughs> that's why i rather do not on what people like going there and telling them hey why don't you use bitcoin install wallet of satoshi and i'm off again sending them five satoshis because they will never use it they don't know the risks associated they don't know what it is whatever that's why i always try to do at least a 20 minute um uh, intro you know where i can uh Tell people about the most important things, uh, so they that they are aware of and maybe cautious, and um, or that what self custody actually means ownership with the twelve words. So I think for me personally, in my education, for me it's very important. Also to tell people and whenever you run into problem problems, you can contact me. Uh, you find me there and there. Um, and, um, with my educational programs online, I now also have the possibility which I was missing the last years, to tell on aspiring educators and community builders, come on, you can uh, have a scholarship for my course. Um, and then you can be one year in my program at least. And then you can always ask questions and you can always get in the newest information about wallets. I mean, just like the thing that happened with Blue Wallet, for instance, last year, with their custodial lightning accounts that they basically... I don't know how many months did we have, one or two. And they said, um, we're deprecating it. And I onboarded a lot of people to that. I mean, I know you can still uh, get out the, the Satoshis from there, but I can't reach most of the people. So that's why I also say it's so important to have a local community, a meetup or a group of people where you can go if you have questions. Because we will need to change, I mean, just thinking of me, I don't know how many Bitcoin and Lightning wallets I have on my devices. 10, 15, I have no idea. Um, and I'm changing them all the time, you know, uh, now Aqua is coming to it, Blink, others like BLV. I'm not using BLV anymore. Um, so I also tell people, you might need to change the wallet in the coming years because this is a new and upcoming technology uh, there's a lot of development going on so but on the your question of what do i recommend then um it's really very depending on the use cases on the knowledge of the people or let's say on their uh, level of education because you i think you have have to abstract it um make it the the more easy the more you see okay also this person is not really interested in learning they don't have the capacity to it for different reasons like in Zimbabwe people don't have so much time to learn about self-custody and what it all means they have so many trouble with their own daily life um so it's really important to um Look into who is the audience for this event, for that, uh, tutorial, whatever. I think, um, that's the most important thing to, to specifically focus on their needs, uh, and challenges and where you can bring a easy solution.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's quite complicated because as you were saying, it's also a factor of, Some of these wallets might not be here in a few years. So then you kind of are also, from that perspective, also trying to protect that person. But it's just genuinely not an easy sort of uh, thing. If you're dealing in the case of people who are, you know, not able to afford going on-chain, right? Because if that person can afford to sort of use full self-custody, then it's a bit more simple. You can sort of put them to like one of the, you know, write down 12 words, keep these 12 words safe. As long as the 12 words are safe, you're okay but it's kind of a a different story with um some of the custodial lightning
1: we yeah we also have the 12 words with the self-custodial lightning but still for me i mean yeah it's still more complicated than as you say on-chain there are more standards already on-chain you know with the 12 words the hd uh wallets um sorry now i lost i wanted to say something but please go on
0: (laughs) yeah right yeah but i mean as even with the 12 words thing i think that's relatively standardized now i think most people have this bip 39 context down the only difference is maybe like moon wallet whereas you know that was kind of a popular wallet a few years ago before the on-chain fees had sort of risen a lot i think the other thing is a lot of people didn't understand that it was not net lightning native it was more like an on-chain native wallet that was using submarine swaps in and out to do lightning and in a high fee scenario that it kind of breaks down a bit if you're doing a lot of smaller transactions. Um, so that's where maybe the native lightning, but again, it comes back to, you know, choosing the right tool for the job. Go on.
1: Yeah. But that was one of the reasons. I mean, at the beginning, I also recommended Moon because I thought it's a lightning wallet. Uh, and then when I saw their backup, which they had a non-standard backup, you know, with, with different letters, that's not the standard words. I was like, I don't like that setup because, uh, it will be difficult to explain how to move from, uh, moon to something else with that. That's not a seed, you know? Um, so that was why I didn't, I stopped recommending it. And what I wanted to add before, because of the wallets, and also I think it's so important even more now when we have that incident, when wallet of Satoshi shut down for the US American users. I mean, If you are not on Twitter every day like we are, how do you know that wallet of Satoshi if you don't use it on a regular basis? Yeah, you use it once, uh, and six months later you see, oh, they are not operating here anymore. Yeah, maybe you see it, maybe you don't. Um, so of course you can send the Satoshis somewhere else. But I think that's a big problem that we have um, that uh, education has um, or Bitcoin in general that it moves so fast and there are these many different wallets and you also don't know who are actually these people who make these wallets. I mean, what's their knowledge, you know, that's why I also put into the, uh, about security and safety and usability, because that's why I also put into the test, like how many seed words do they have? Is the uh, backup forced? So do you need to write down the 12 words before you even can start using the wallet, which I think is a good practice, because a lot of people start using it and they never write down their seed afterwards. Um, or there are wallets that allow you to copy the 12 words into your clipboard. I mean, I know exactly what's happening next. People are sending it via email. They are putting it into their messenger on their uh, computers and then the money is gone. And then the argument comes, yeah, but it's only lightning. It should only be a little bit. Yeah, but for a few people, that's the, everything they have, you know? Um, so I, I think it's also important to have these standards in the wallets. Um, and I, I'm ad- advocating for that. And yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I think the trade-off with that though is there will be some companies who say no, but that in that uh, that's like a another hurdle to adoption. That's a hurdle to getting people to use the thing because now they weren't they want they just want to be able to play around with the wallet. And you, you know you can understand all the kind of arguments that will go back and forth there. And even on the um, as you mentioned, wallet Satoshi shutting down in the U.S. or at least stopping U.S. customers. Part of that is also driven by regulation, right? And so it may be that. And again, I'm not speaking of what I want to happen, I'm speaking of what I think, you know, might happen is it may be that non-KYC custodial wallets in the US go away because of regulation, but maybe in the non-US context they may still survive and that, that you know that's where maybe the Blinks and the wallet of Satoshi's and some of these others, like maybe Fetty and others, will still be out of play. Because they're not in the U.S. and they're not serving U.S. customers, at least on that, whereas it may be that, uh, you know, in, the, in this age of government regulation, uh, that the custodial wallets will end up being KYC ones. And so that's kind of the other element to add in.
1: I. I fear the same, and I got to say, uh, well done, wallet of Satoshi, not bending the knee to that, and rather go out of the US than uh, making it uh, KYC'd. Um, and I think with uh, Fedimins the chances are higher um that it can still be a non-KYC because the federations usually don't know who the guardians are so it's a technology that allows for that shared custody without people even knowing who is behind of it you know so from that perspective um i hope because i mean we need privacy tools of course um that that uh, things like that can sustain but yeah we'll see
0: yeah but yeah, I think this uh, recent, you know, last year or so, we've seen these big fee spikes. And it's the other aspect is it's not constant, right? It's not just saying the fees are two dollars every time, or the fees are forty dollars every time. There have been times where it where it swings between anywhere from let's say a dollar to thirty dollars a transaction on chain. That is, um, and so I think that is maybe going to force a different conversation. For those of us who are kind of in the education world of trying to help put out educational material, uh, because it means you you really have to know you have to sort of choose the right tool for the job. You sort of have to understand the person you are trying to teach. What is their use? Are they a hodler mainly? Are they not going to transact that much? Okay, are they above a certain value? Okay, go for. This particular wallet, because it's on-chain, you get your 12 words and don't worry about lightning. You don't really need that. Or if they are somebody who maybe they can't afford to be you know, above 1 million Satoshis and they kind of have to use you know, spending and receiving and they do transact more regularly, well then maybe that's where like a Blink or a wallet of Satoshi or a Fedi something or an Aqua potentially might make more sense for that person. You know, but it really, and then they might be like, oh no, I'm a privacy person. So I, I really want the privacy aspect. You know, it's, it's just, you really have to sort of understand what they want and then try to sort of have good knowledge of the options and then say, okay, for you, this is the best option.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with you. So it's going to be very specific, um, uh, to the needs and, and the possibilities of your group, your audience. Yeah. What people need, um, yeah, so that's it's. it's yeah. I think right, we well, see we will see yeah. more specialisation uh, also in education.
0: Mm. Yeah, right. Um, so let's wrap up then. So as you as you mentioned, you know we've talked about a lot of things uh, this episode. We talked about adopting Bitcoin, Cape Town, South Africa, some of the ramifications of uh, a you know a swinging fee market or block space market. Um, there's Some of the different uh, your review of the self custodial Lightning apps and you know kind of a discussion of where things are going in the future um just as we finish off where can people find you i know you have a a course and bitcoin for fairness where can people find you online
1: Yes. So um, the course is cracktheorange.com. And um, it's a video course where you learn everything you need to know about Bitcoin, why is it important, the history, uh, what are the differences between self-custody, custodial services, which wallets to use, uh, how to set it up, what are the best security practices and things like that. And it includes a live call once a month where people can ask me questions directly. And so the best thing to stay in touch with me is actually my newsletter because once a week I send out a free new uh yeah newsletter for free with important uh updates and new videos and educational material and you can find that at anita.link slash weekly. So that's the best way to stay in contact.
0: Great. Okay. Well thanks. I'll put all the links in the show notes and uh, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Steven. Have a nice day.